So you guys are coming up here one more or Labor Day weekend? Yeah. And hopefully looking at some houses while we're there. Nice. Yeah. Hopefully looking at some breweries too or something. Yes. I was maybe going to go. I have a friend who's coming in town from Colorado. And by in town, I mean like somewhere near Atlanta. So <laughs> probably not heading down there. This is a better reason now to not go. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so you're in town. That's a drive. That's uh, how far is Atlanta? Three hours. Oh, that's not bad. Not terrible. Yeah, I think we're gonna go camping in uh, Tennessee this weekend. Nice. Yeah, we do something. So I guess when you go, I don't know if this is the same for all armed forces, but when you go into the Navy, you leave the same day that you went in. Ah. So uh, August nineteenth is Chris's Navy anniversary, so we always try and do something for it. That's cool. And we haven't been camping since we got back from our road trip, so we're gonna go for it. Is that just like custom, or is that the like SOP? Is you have to leave on the day you came in? I don't know. I, my understanding is that it's SOP for the Navy at least. So every year on the nineteenth, you're like, it's like, well got another 364 days yep well i mean that's for the one year so he he went in and six years later left on yeah yeah well i know but he's like oh i'm in for at least another 364 days like sorry no chance you're getting out (laughs) yeah Yeah, exactly yeah all things good this weekend it rained a lot here which is nice means i don't have to water it was so hot yesterday. I think it was 91. I went for a run at 9 o'clock last night, and it was 91 degrees. It was still in the high 80s here. It was really hot. And we, we went for that hike. We got there at, like, 9 o'clock. So it wound up being, like, pretty hot on the way down. But hiking downhill is fine when it's hot out. And I'm not as sore as I thought I would be. My knees didn't uh, give up on me which i'm very good very happy for the downhill will get you will get your knees i learned a new technique for walking downhill which makes sense if you think about it you want to step heel first the tendency is to like put your toes down first yeah as you're going downhill but your heel should be taking the brunt of the force that's interesting that's like the exact opposite of running yes uh (laughs) So, yeah, I can see that being confusing. I was thinking about that while I was walking downhill. I was like, "This isn't how you're supposed to run," but it is how you're supposed to hike. So, I mean, maybe downhill. I haven't actually looked. I mean, I've read all sorts of stuff about like pacing and like how to conserve energy uphill versus downhill. Uh, I've never even considered like footfall being different downhill. And it's the list. <laughs> Yeah, we could get another YouTube video on it. Yeah. <laughs> Just kind of like a... Yeah, it's weird when you're used to like doing something the same way for 40 years. Yeah. Being conscientious of how you're walking is very strange. Well, it's very zen of you. Yeah. <laughs> I had to focus on something. Yeah. <laughs> Well, Chris, we're here today. We are hoping that this is the third charming time for this podcast recording. Uh, And 
timely because we are actually doing it the week of this week in tech history. Um, today we're talking about how Internet Explorer wants to be your default. So this one's kind of a two for one. They, uh, there were two events that happened one year right after another. Um, both, so the first one was August 6th, 1994. A developer for Microsoft by the name of Benjamin Slivka sent out a company-wide email suggesting that they include a browser in the upcoming release of Windows 95. On August 15th of the following year, that became a reality when they released Internet Explorer in Windows 95. As the internet grew, Microsoft's strategic move to bundle Internet Explorer gave millions of users easy access to web browsing, but because they had contracted with Spyglass to license technology for Internet Explorer, there was a huge legal battle over it. Spyglass assumed they should have more control over what they provided to Microsoft. The lawsuit highlighted the relationship between innovation, uh, competition, and intellectual property. They argued that the bundling of Internet Explorer exceeded their licensing agreements. Apparently, a judge agreed or they didn't even get to that phase because Microsoft settled for $8 million. I didn't put it into the calculator, but $8 million in 1995 is significant today. That's one of my favorite yep. things is finding out how much these things are actually worth today with inflation. As long as you're not like looking to buy a house. Uh, but other than that, yeah, it's really interesting. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. As long as you're not on the path you're on, Chris, trying to buy a house. Yeah. The event's significance extend beyond the rise of Internet Explorer and web browsing uh, kind of brought together um legal complexities that were starting to pop up with uh, internet companies uh, bundling software. This was like really early in the game. I think that's a lot of it is stuff we're used to these days. Um, but yeah, it just kind of served as a legacy um, as a reminder between like what the balance is between technical progress, legal frameworks. How do you, how do you regulate ongoing, ongoing uh, exploration building tech that doesn't exist. So I looked into it uh, mostly because I feel like uh, every fourth episode of this show uh, talks about how Bill Gates and Microsoft was involved in a lawsuit. Um, <laughs> yeah. So I believe, and I could be totally wrong, but I believe that this was the only antitrust lawsuit that Microsoft has had. Uh, really? The rest of them, I believe there are six or seven, I think there are six um, IP lawsuits. Um, but I yeah, think this is the only the, antitrust one. The one with Apple and uh, the one with Apple at Microsoft. Yeah. yeah. There's patent infringement related to data compression, uh, incompatible Java implementation, and anti competitive practices. Uh, that sounds like data trust. Um, patent infringement regarding digital music technology, patent infringement regarding browser plugins, patent infringement involving software activation, patent infringement related to VPNs. Um, but this is the only anti-competitive practice I mean, regarding uh, 
web browsers. They're all over the map with those. Yeah. They're everywhere with intellectual property. There are two things here for me. One, if there was no precedent for this before, why not take the risk and see what happens? And two, how are you how are you growing and innovating if you're not doing something that someone else feels threatened by? If you're not pushing boundaries, you know, it's either, I don't think it's necessarily the like uh, ask forgiveness later thing, but I think much more so the like, you've got to take the shot and, yeah, you know, and see, see if it works. And this Internet Explorer defined it maybe didn't define an era of the internet, but it was strongly correlated to everyone's movement away from dial-up into broadband. And like Internet Explorer, like you were like AOL, Netscape, like Internet Explorer. Like that was was the thing. So obviously it worked out, right? It did. I, you know, I mean... I think part of that though, stems from their choice to bundle it. Yeah. Are they like, we're, we're going to make sure that every person who has a Windows computer knows about Internet Explorer and being the company that gives people access automatically totally changed the game. Because this was still in the era, like I know we've brought this up a million times, but the AOL CDs. Yeah. To not have to worry about... Um, how much bandwidth you're using? Did you use your 30 hours or your 15 hours that the CD allowed? Like kind of opening up that access so that people had unlimited access to the internet. I would like to set the record straight on a previous uh, episode where I opined that there were probably hundreds of thousands or millions of uh, AOL CDs made. I naturally had to go back and look up how many were made. And the uh, the official number, well, maybe not official, but according to Vox, the number is over a billion AOL CDs. A billion. Yeah. So I was very wrong. Very, very wrong. But that kind of goes back to this decision to bundle Internet Explorer. Um Yes, it was like partially defined an era as a result, but it also helped to unseat um, the the king, right? To unseat AOL. And I think it not just with like around the same time as like people transitioning from like AIM to MySpace and like kind of broadening the world, right? Somehow I I mean, I know exactly how I've worked with a bunch of chefs in my life and I know a decent amount of chefs that still have an AOL email address, but that's the, that's different. The, the guy I worked for when I met my husband, uh, it was a sign shop and his work email that he had people sending things to as a business in the, into the two thousands. And this is, I mean, we've been together probably 10 years, still an AOL account. And not even like 
It's not even something clever. It's not the name of the business. <laughs> it'd be like it'd be like an email address that was like um like bxone1 at aol.com. Nice. Yeah. Do you think that email addresses will like come back around like like a 90s bronco did you know like cars will like go out of favor for a while and then like now like nine like a early 90s bronco is pretty sick but for a while it was like uh i don't know about that i mean oj didn't help but like <laughs> the like design wise, like it fell out of fashion, but now that they've come back, do you think those old email addresses will do the same? I don't think I'm ever bringing back Red Rum Girl One at Hotmail. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Yeah. 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 Big Stanley Kubrick fan in high school. Great. <laughs> uh, but it is interesting to think, like, if that hadn't, you know. Do those things come back in favor? Do they uh, do they have to evolve to be something different? Like even Internet Explorer, after a while, had they had to turn it into Edge because the names and associations that happened with Internet Explorer became so negative. It's like they innovated. They innovated at the very beginning and then just kind of plateaued. Yeah. So none of the browsers we have these days would be possible without Internet Explorer, which feels ironic considering no one ever wanted to use it. Do you think that that innovation and growth followed by being stagnant as a result of the growth of the company, the size of the company having to like becoming this kind of slow moving, uh, not dinosaur, but this from, from the bigger nimble get, and the more hoops there are to jump through, especially when you, you know, like maybe they got a little, a little like gun shy on building big products, given how many lawsuits they had been in for doing things that became, they became the lawsuits that they were involved in became things that were standard in tech. Yeah. You know, like with that lawsuit that they were in with Apple, it was, you know, the use of things like a, a, a pointer for the mouse. Yeah. They had to be in a lawsuit for that to become a standard. Um, they got into a lawsuit with Spyglass over this for bundling an internet provider, which is now completely standard. Every company makes their own. Their, their own internet service. It is kind of wild to me that it was over and bundling a web browser when you could just download another one. Yeah. Um, well, I mean, well, I download at that point. I mean, yeah, I guess that was that's that's the question, and I'm sure there's an answer. I just don't know like this IP antitrust conversation gets more so the IP conversation gets really interesting with the like evolution of AI. Right. And that's a whole 
a whole yeah. nother topic. And you don't necessarily see Microsoft like jumping into that, into the deep end there uh, either. That'll be kind of like the next frontier of IP law. You're already seeing people like Sarah Silverman suing ChatGPT because her uh, some of her comedy has been used to kind of create those automated responses. Where do you draw the line of like, if a program is ingesting all of this information and then regurgitating it, where does that become fair use versus plagiarism? Yeah. And where is it? Where's the line between a search engine and AI? Yeah. Uh, or a language model, large language model. So this also brought up the question of bloatware. And <laughs> I'm interested to hear what your least favorite bloatware is. There's a clear winner and for for me. I mean my go-to is I know this isn't technically bloatware, but Apple putting U2 on every single <laughs> Apple Music account. <laughs> yeah. That was a good one. That was a that was a trash move. It's still like I don't have an iPhone, but every time it comes up on on my husband's phone, I'm like, dude, why haven't you erased this yet? <laughs> I still I yet? still every now and then look at you know, like I don't use Apple Music anymore. Like I just use Spotify or whatever. But every now and then I'll be like cleaning out my phone or computer. Like, why do I have this U2 album? <laughs> it takes me a second to remember. You didn't want an Apple game. Yeah. I mean, so interestingly, mine is Apple as well, but it's like pages, numbers, keynote. I, I hate it. It's just, it's a, they're garbage programs that nobody uses that aren't the industry standard that didn't even use the industry standard file type for the longest right. time. Well, yes, I appreciate from like, I feel like it was probably a marketing move, right? That they're like, Oh, we're going to provide added value with like, this is a, like a, at the time was like a luxury, like computer. Uh, and the added value that we're going to give you is this word processing. But that, I think that was also because Apple wouldn't support Microsoft suite. Ah, Oh yeah. Yeah. All right. And then That's it just right. Something that they were like, yes, this is, you can exist entirely in our ecosystem. But to your point, doesn't take into account at all that it doesn't interact with other ecosystems. I used to get things sent to me from like some of our athletes at my last job where they'd like type something out on their phone. Like that was what they used to like write a blog post or bio information or something and send it to me in pages. <laughs> Which, of course, I never updated on the computer because I would never use it. So then in order to open it, I have to do that. Then you have to transfer it out to a different file type to be able to copy and paste it. And Yeah, I think that's a solid contender for least favorite bloatware. Yeah. Yeah. What was the transition after Internet Explorer? Was it straight to Chrome? Oh, Firefox. It was the Firefox yeah, era. Firefox. Was Firefox was big. I think Chrome was like the latest. Yeah. Latest to the game. And that's some like serious staying power. I think uh, Internet Explorer was, if I remember right, they lasted until like the, I think 2015. Um, 
yeah, in April of 2015, they announced they'd stop doing backwards compatibility um, and then started moving everything over to Edge. So that's been, I was working as a developer when Edge came out and they made a lot of changes that I think the software community was really excited for. They made it really easy to like, much easier to like interact with and uh, design for. Yeah. Internet Explorer had been. But now it's, I think if you, I mean, I'd have to look at stats. I'm sure we could look up how, what browsers people use to access our site. But I think almost all of it is Chrome. I tried uh, Arc Browser, which, like, once again, is an example of somebody, like, trying to innovate. It's a really interesting browser that you can put together like a, a main page like your your like dashboard and have like look-ins to other websites um so if there's like something that updates regularly that you want to see you can have a look into that next to like a picture of your family next to like a look-in of like you know the specials at your like favorite neighborhood restaurant that's very cool yeah like that was really cool the setup of it was really interesting and pretty intuitive, but I thought we used a lot of screen real estate uh, for a, a laptop anyways. Um, but despite all of their innovation, it was, it just became apparent to me that the style of browser like Google Chrome has just become the convention and breaking away from that style. And I think like ultimately like Explorer was the, the uh, really like laid the groundwork for, for that. And Chrome innovated a bit and like usability, um, but trying to mess with convention too much, just like is rocking the rocking the boat too much. I mean, why don't we have more styles of phones? You know, like yeah. there, there are, basically like three types of interfaces you use and it's Apple, it's uh, Microsoft based or Linux based or Chrome based. And like, if you try to do something outside of that, people don't know how to interact with it. Yeah. Even switching between Android and Apple, people don't know how to do it. So I wonder how you like, how do you innovate on that then when you're like, like you're saying like this browser is really cool, innovative, doesn't really do what you want it to because you're used to it doing something else with stuff like that. And this was like, this kind of came from like common thought in like diet. And if you're trying to like, so you're trying to like go vegetarian, right? The way to go vegetarian from being a carnivore is to start adding a bunch of vegetarian dishes, find the things that you like and add those to your regular rotation. Mm-hmm. And then start cutting the meat out. Don't do it the other way. I think, like, at least with my experience using this other browser, it felt like too big of a departure. To it was going to, it was going to affect my productivity. It was going to be something that I had to like, uh, like learn over a period of time. You know, I think making 
wholesale changes like that are best done in an additive and then reductive fashion. Um, as opposed to just, uh, that's really interesting to think about in terms of like, how do you innovate tech in that way? Like, how do you, do you think that browser would have been more effective if they started something that was like more familiar? So it was like the first evolution of it is like you open your homepage and there's a search box and then there are four of those things that you want looks into. And then the next evolution of it is like, you can have more things on your homepage if you want. You don't have to. Yeah. But we will make you on the next update. Yeah. Yeah. Which I mean, then again is, you know, how do you do that as you're, you're growing into adoption, right? Yeah. But I, you could, you'd have to, there would be like this time-based weird thing and then nobody would like that either. But yeah. Uh, <laughs> but yeah. The, so I was like talking about phones. I walked out of our apartment in Brooklyn uh, one day and there's a coffee shop downstairs and there was a guy sitting with what looked like, imagine a like Nokia, but like slimmer and like luxury. It's the only way I can describe it. Okay. And I like had this thought, this was a few years ago. And I had this thought of like, immediately I knew what it was without ever seeing one before. I was like, I, like, I guarantee you that's a like luxury model, dumb phone that this dude, like this kind of like hipster has. And sure enough, it was like, I, I looked it up and it was like a thousand dollar phone that only allowed you to like, text and make phone calls it was wild it looked sweet and i you know i think it would be really interesting if there was a way to like use that for like use that for the weekend and like use your other phone for like the week or whatever yeah uh, but it was it was a, a bit of a like mind-blowing little moment maybe it's you know it's a maybe an example of like where we've kind of like over teched ourselves like it's kind of ridiculous that it's so expensive, but the money that you're investing into that isn't the money that you're investing into the phone. It's the money that you're investing into your like mental health. Right. And like making, making that, that investment makes you use it, makes you have a nice thing that feels good and like feels good in your hand, whatever, but Mm -hmm. you're really paying for your mental health. You're not paying for the phone itself. I just feel like if I'm paying a thousand dollars for a phone, I want it to do a whole bunch of stuff for me. <laughs> yeah. And then just leave your phone at home when you don't want it. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I'm excited to see like kind of what I feel like with AI and with people, there's like a, there's a growing population of people who want those things that are like dumber where you don't want to be so connected all the time. And then on the other side of things, we have AI that's like, trying to boost progress so that you can intake all of this information at all times and kind of push it back out. Like, how do we find that? Where's the balance moving forward? I mean, I think the, to me, at least right now I can speak to, I think the balance is that using like chat GPT, for instance, it's all in, it's like Vegas. Like it can be like whatever you want it to be, right? Like if you want to go to yeah. Vegas and like go nightclub and you can, or if you want to go gambling, you can, or you want to go to great, re- great restaurants, you can, or you want to go to the lake, you can do that. With like LLMs, it can be 
if you want it to be an overwhelming amount of information, it can be an overwhelming, you, you can make it that way. But I've found myself using it a lot more in situations where I don't want the like Google 10 blue links. Like I want to know a like pretty good answer. And if, I, and I want one of them. And if <laughs> I want more information, like I can go find it. But like using that to simplify and eliminate noise, I think has been uh, a really great use case for me. Using using it correctly to simplify. That's a good. Maybe that's the next. That's the next Internet Explorer. It's just kind of like a a dumb search bot, a dumb internet. I mean, Google is is experimenting with it. They have in their like beta launch a uh, a feature that when you you search for something, instead of just getting ten blue links, you get a big box that pops up in the beginning that tries to answer your question. Yeah. And it may provide some some examples of like I don't know, like things to do and like like Powell, like here's like one boat rental place that's really great. It's still like down below you still have like all the links that, that yeah. you can can get to. And I think it like I haven't found myself really like using it that much, mainly because it's only on my personal account and I don't use that often i'm mostly on my work one but yeah um i think that like that seems like a logical next progression and and once again it's like kind of getting back to instead of like a complete overhaul and rebrand a new product it's here's one more feature we're going to give you and like see what you think and then iterate on it that slow adoption yeah Yeah. i think that that feels right yeah well now we just need to build our own browser that's our million dollar idea i like i legitimately don't know how like the new york browser company the this they made the arc browser um but i started using it nothing to do with new york but i yeah I, i see the coincidence there um it seems like a hard road to uh to to redefine the browser to reinvent the browser and to go to war with with chrome but uh, you know I, I legitimately wonder like how they continue to make money um and hopefully they yeah. do because obviously like i think we're better off having the uh, i mean more options there's a reason antitrust exists right yeah well on that note Thanks for joining me. We did it. Go violate some antitrust law. No, I'm just (laughs) (laughs) Thanks for listening to the Frontier Podcast powered by Gun.io. We drop two episodes per week. So if you like this episode, be sure to subscribe on your platform of choice and come hang out with us again next week and bring all your internet friends. If you have questions or recommendations, just shoot us a Twitter DM at the Frontier Pod and we'll see you next week.
Thanks for listening to the Frontier Podcast, produced by Gun.io. We're the only freelancing platform where engineers actually go to hire other engineers. If you want to learn more about how to hire or freelance with us, head over to Gun.io and get in touch. Let us know you heard the podcast and we'll pay for your first 10 hours with a kick-ass engineer.